Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. If we have it up there, uh, it's not there. Okay. I will read it to you. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the leaven a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little leaven, there it is, even though she put only a little leaven in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus said, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. When it is sown, when it begins, it's small, but it eventually permeates everything. You, a town, a home, a city, a country. The kingdom of heaven is meant to be pervasive, permeating. It's designed to spread in a good way, and it will. And let's look at one more passage here. Look what it says about the disciples in the middle of the book of Acts. They've only been going up to the middle of the book of Acts. And look how they were described. These who have turned Fort Worth upside down. Oh, I'm sorry, it said the world. These who have turned the world upside down. Anybody here today want to turn Fort Worth upside down? In a good way? In a good way. How about right side up? So obviously those disciples had a major impact. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that you're going to minister to us about the power of the gospel, the power of a move of the Spirit. Lord, give us such a move. Give us such a blessing that we would see the mighty power of God manifested among us. Lord, we pray, make every one of us here today an instrument of revival, an instrument of awakening. Lord, thank you for setting the fire in our hearts, for putting the seed of vision in our spirits. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Heidi, how are you? Hey, I'm okay. Well, obviously something's wrong. Do you want to talk about it? It's my coworker Jody. Oh yeah, the mom with the kids. She's been having some trouble with them. She is. She's really struggling right now. So, what are we going to do about that? Well, I don't know what I could do about it. I mean, I don't really feel qualified to help her. Well, when you're having trouble, Where do you turn? The Lord. You're right. She's been telling me about the problems with her son, and she really needs an anchor in her life right now. I know a relationship with the Lord would be that for her, but I've never really told anybody anything like this before. Well, how do you think she would respond if you told her you were a Christian? I don't know. I've tried to talk to Jody before, but when I open up my mouth, I just can't get the words out. I get nervous. It's like fear is just staring me in the face. Like intimidation just walks right in the room, and before I know it, the moment is gone. Heidi, the enemy doesn't want this to happen. You have a strong foundation. I believe in you. We can do this. I know a relationship with the Lord would change her life. Not only her life, but her son's life, too. You know that feeling you get, that tug on your heart that's compelling you to talk to Jody, that's the Lord wanting to use you. Well, it's really stirring in me to be a witness, but I don't know. I mean, Jody's a successful businesswoman, and I mean, what 
what if she doesn't like what I have to say? What if she thinks I'm an idiot? Uh, I just can't do this all by myself. Heidi, I never asked you to do it alone. You're right. Holy Spirit, will you come with me today and give me the boldness that I need to be a witness to Jody? Thank you. Hey, Jody, how's it going? Oh, girl, my boss has got me running like crazy today, and after such a hectic weekend, I thought I'd have a smooth Monday. Well, what happened this weekend? You remember I was telling you about the trouble that my son got into at school last week? Well, apparently there was a lot more to it than what I was told. And I just really wish he had someone to look up to in his life. You know, ever since his dad's been out of the picture, things have been really hard on him. They've been hard on all of us. Well, Jody, I've been thinking a lot about what you're going through, and I can't imagine what it must be like to face all of that by yourself. I've really been wanting to tell you something that I hope will help. Girl, I could use all the help I can get right now. Well, I wanted to tell you that, um, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Well, Jody, I'm a good person, and there's a lot of good people out there that can help you. You mean like a counselor or a therapist or somebody? Do you know somebody? Well, kind of like a counselor. Um, well, what I mean is... Oh. What I'm trying to say. My boss. Things just seem to get worse and worse. I, I'm having such a hard time focusing on my job right now with all the stuff going on at home. Well, I mean, I, I know it's none of my business, but, um, you know... I just want to tell you that, well, Jody, the answer to all your problems is Jesus Christ. Tell me, how is Jesus Christ going to solve all of my problems? One at a time, if you give him a chance. <laughs> Heidi, I really don't have time for this. I really don't. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may never come. Don't you think your son deserves a little bit of time? Do you really think it's going to be that easy? No, I didn't say it would be easy. In fact, the hardest thing anyone could ever do is follow Jesus Christ. Well, you seem to have it all together. Why would that be so tough? Well, first of all, coming to Christ starts when you realize that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. But none of us want to change our way of doing things. So that's the first problem. And second, when you do come to Christ, you have the devil and all his demons against you. They hate anyone who wants to live for the Lord. And third, you got your own self to deal with. The Bible says that we must deny self and follow Christ. And believe me, that is not an easy thing to do. And fourth, we still have our sinful nature as long as we are in these bodies. And that means that we have to deal with the flesh and everything that comes with that. And finally, Jesus talks about carrying a cross as we walk through this life. A cross implies suffering. Not something anybody really enjoys. That's the Jesus that I believe in. Now, if you want to follow that Christ and allow him to take complete control of your life, I know that he'll give you eternal life in heaven and a new purpose for living life here on earth. No one's ever told me anything like this before. Why do you want to help me? Because of what Christ did for me. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Bible says that when I was still a sinner, that Jesus died for me. I didn't deserve that, Jody. But I want you to know that God loves you so much that he sent his only son to suffer and die on a cross for our sins. And he rose again from the dead so that we can live in victory forever. 
tell Jody that if you ask Jesus to be your Savior, you'll find the peace that you're looking for. He sounds exactly like what I need. How do I go about doing something like that? Well, I could lead you in a prayer. You can just repeat after me. I like that. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to make you Lord of my life. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my sins. And come and live in my heart today. And come and live in my heart today. And God, right now I just ask you for Jody that you give her wisdom to help her with her son. And that you give her the peace that she needs to trust you with her life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Heidi. I feel better. Well, come on. Why don't you tell me some more about your son? Amen. Well, I think we all get the gist of that. We've been talking about a move of God the last couple of Sundays. And you know what that shows us right there? How's a move of God happen? It happens through you. It happens through me as a preacher, but it also, and really more than me, through you as just a Christian out there in the everyday workaday world who comes into contact with people that I'll never come into contact with. And notice the battle. As soon as the opportunity to share Jesus with that girl uh, came up, fear and intimidation walked onto the scene. You probably experienced that this week. Probably sometime this week you got fearful or intimidated to share Jesus with somebody. But look what would have happened if she had listened to that fear and intimidation. That lady would never have been saved. When God moves in a move of God, the kindling for the fire is you. It's you. And so today, we're going to talk again about a move of God. And I'm going to give you a little bit of church history. I want you to understand. How many of you consider yourself to be a part of the church? You're, you're a, well, the rest of you, we need to have an altar call here. If you don't even know, if you're a believer, you're a part, not this church, you're a part of the universal church. So let me try that again. How many of you feel like you're a part of the church? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a part of the church. And Jesus told us in that parable, when he said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, a woman used in making bread. Heaven is like leaven. It's easy to remember. Heaven is like leaven. And God intended for that leaven the gospel and the teachings of Jesus to influence your world my world your home your workplace our city I don't know about you but I have never been more aware of a the need for a move of God in the United States of America like I am now if there's not a move of God folks it's pretty well over for the America that we've known but I'm here to tell you today that it's never over till God has had his say. And Jesus said, I want you as my people to understand that the kingdom of God that is within you, the, the Lord who lives in your heart, the teachings that he left us to live by are like leaven. And they are intended to eventually permeate the whole of culture. I'm not talking about kingdom now. I'm not saying that the church is literally supposed to usher in the millennial reign of Christ by finally winning so many people to Jesus that we've got heaven on earth. That's not going to happen. The Lord's going to have to return. But what I am talking about, church, 
is being influential for Jesus Christ. What I am talking about is I want all of us today to understand that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That the gospel you have embraced, the Lord you have fallen in love with, the Christ who saved your soul has placed within you a great power, the power of the Holy Spirit and the leavening influence, the leavening influence of the gospel of Jesus not only pertains to souls being saved, but it's talking about godliness, righteousness, ethics, morality, goodness, and kindness being introduced into a home, a town, a city, a nation, and the world, permeating and influencing our society for the good. Listen to what Jesus said about you and me. He said, you're the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It preserves meat from decay. So salt is a preservative. He said, you're the light of the world. What does light do? It banishes darkness. He said, you're a city set on a hill. What does that do? It is inescapable. It is visible. It is apparent. It is there. He said, I've made you a preserver from decay. I've made you a light that chases darkness away. And I've made you inescapable. I have made you prominent. That when you say you're a Christian, everybody takes note of it. And God wanted every church to be like a city set on a hill with all the lights on that nobody can miss. Now here's the principle. All these pictures that Jesus gave us, salt, light, city on a hill, all of them, had to do with having a transformative influence over society. Now I'm going to give you something that I want you to remember the rest of your life. This is why you as the church are important. When the church stays salty, evil is restrained. When the church loses its saltiness, evil takes over. As long as the church of Jesus Christ shines, shares Him like we just saw, ministers the Word of God, is unashamed of the cross, the blood, heaven, hell, the one who saved us, as long as we're up front with that, and we salt our society, then evil is restrained. Now, I am concerned about the United States of America, and the reason I believe we're in trouble is because the enemy has successfully convinced so many that stand behind pulpits that it's archaic, that it's backward, that it's old-fashioned to get up here and minister the Word of God, to talk about salvation, the need uh, for Jesus Christ to come into your life, the, the exclusivity of the gospel, that there is not another who can save you, only he can. The, the pulpit has become intimidated by fear and therefore stifled and muzzled by political correctness. And because of that, darkness has encroached upon this country. But I'm here to tell you today that I believe God is speaking to churches all over America and saying, it's time for you to stand up. It's time for you to speak up. It's time for you to come up front with the real gospel of Jesus Christ and preach it as it is to men as they are. And so I'm sharing with you today that God wants Turning Point Church and every church that names the name of Christ in this city to realize that we are leaven and God has, has placed us where we are 
that eventually the leaven of the kingdom of God through us would influence this whole area for the glory of God. This had clearly happened in the early church because it says of the early church, they had turned the world upside down with their godly influence. Now what I'm going to show you today is how a move of God that comes through the people of God. Hey, no people, no move of God. It's got to come through the people. How the move of God can literally rescue a society from self-destruction. A move of God can cancel and does cancel satanic assignments. A move of God injects fresh hope and life into a culture. And my Lord, don't we need it now, church, when nine-year-old children are hanging themselves in schools and every day we read about some atrocity in the news. We think darkness is on the march, but I got news for you. When the church wakes up and realizes who she is, then we're going to see a whole different thing. We need a move of God. A move of God. Now, I just want to show you a couple of quick examples of what a move of God can do. I want you to understand the history of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, of which you are a part and you are an extension. Just a couple hundred years ago, there was a move of God that was awesome. It was called the Great Awakening. I talked about it just a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to talk about it again today because I want you to understand the power that happens when God moves on a country. What is known as the Great Great Awakening began in England in the early 1700s. It was an awesome move of God that appeared at a time of desperate spiritual and moral darkness in England from which we came. How bad was it? Well, for starters, let me explain English society to you right before God moved. The English people were totally enslaved to national alcoholism. Believe it or not, addiction has no corner on this culture. Addiction's always been around. And England was totally addicted to gin, the vodka of that day. Prior to the awakening, the spiritual awakening that God sent, 506 of the 2,000 houses in the London area were gin shops. One in four places of habitation sold gin. One out of four homes given over to the production of alcohol. A poem written during this time read like this, Gin, cursed fiend, with fury fraught, makes human race a prey. It enters by a deadly draught and steals our life away. That's what alcohol does. It steals your life away from you. You wake up saying, Lord, I want my life back. All of England was drunk. One observer wrote that national drunkenness made the English people, quote, what they never were before, cruel and inhuman. You know, you can measure where a culture or a society is by how they treat their children. The treatment of society's children has always been a measure of that society's goodness or its barbarism. Well, if that's true and it is true, what about 17th century, late 17th century and early 18th century England, the 1700s? Listen to this, 74.5% of children of all classes died before their fifth birthday 
in early 1700s England. Four out of five never made it. Never made it. They were turned away to perish in the streets because the parents didn't care because they were all drunk. Or they were taught to beg and they were taught to steal for food. And get this, some were blinded or maimed, had limbs amputated in order to make these children more effective beggars in that day. This was England before God moved. Think about it. One case recorded in a local paper in February of 1735 highlights what was going on. A lady named Judith DeFore took her small child to a place offering clothing for children. Having received the clothing, she left the building, strangled the child, sold the clothing for a small sum, and went straight out and used the blood money to purchase gin. Drug addiction turns you into an animal, and alcohol is a drug. It turns you into an animal. When it gets a hold of your life and it's got you and you don't have it, it reduces you. It seduces you. It, 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 it marginalizes who you are. It depraves you. It turns you into something God never intended. And all of England had lost natural parental affection. It was obliterated through drunkenness and moral depravity just prior to God moving. And what about their government, parliament? Well, during this time, the British parliament on numerous occasions had to adjourn early because the honorable members were too drunk to continue the business of state. And where was the church during this time? Because the Church of England was there. The Church of England was there. What were they doing with all of this decay and all of this depravity? Where were they? Well, one bishop wrote, that the majority of clergy were potent for evil, but impotent for good. They were mighty to quench the aggressive preaching of the gospel, but they were weak to offer any remedy for the evil of the age. They didn't know what to do. Many of the clergy were not even saved. One person describing the pulpit ministers of that day called them dull, duller, and dullest. In other words, there was no fire, there was no anointing, there was no word, there was no help, there was no real ministry issuing from the pulpit of that day because many of them had sold out to deism. They didn't even believe God involved himself in the affairs of people, much less answer prayer. So the church was dead and society was sinking and that's always the case. When the church loses its saltiness, society plummets. But listen, there is a verse, and this is what happened, because God was watching all of this. He was watching these poor children. He was watching this culture that was going down in alcoholism. God was watching all of this, and the Bible says, where sin is abounding, grace does much more abound. And I want to tell you today, church, we look around us and we see pornography galloping across the country, drunkenness, drug addiction, all kinds of sin and darkness. But I got news for you. Where sin abounds, God's got a plan. Where sin abounds, God's got a plan. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Grace, amazing grace, wild grace, crazy grace. 
It's often darkest before the dawn, as they say. Rather than it being the end of England, the stage was being set for a mighty move of God because something was about to happen right around 1736. Something was about to happen 40 years before the Declaration of Independence was signed. As we saw last time, there were three college friends. Now, if I'm God looking down and I see all of this and I'm going to raise somebody up, I pick a bishop. I pick somebody who's known, somebody who's famous, somebody who has some kind of credential, but that's not what God does. God looks for the weak. He looks for that which is not, that he might bring to naught that which is. And so God looked through a college. All you college-age young people, you ought to be looking up because God's looking at you. And God saw three young men, George Whitfield, John Wesley, and Charles Wesley. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. Charles Wesley, his brother, the great hymn writer. And George Whitfield, the unparalleled preacher. God looked at them. They all had an experience with Jesus at college. And God laid his hand on them and said, preach. I want you to preach. You get up and you preach. You don't give three points in a poem. You get up and you preach. You preach with fire. You preach with conviction. You preach with power. You preach with anointing. You preach unafraid of the opinions of men. And so they began to preach, you must be born again to ever see the kingdom of God. You must repent and turn to Jesus Christ. And you know what the Church of England did? Kicked them out. You always know the condition of a church when you find out what it does with people that are really preaching the word. The Church of England kicked them out. So Whitfield, George Whitfield, young Whitfield, who had a voice that could be heard at the end of a crowd of 30,000 people without the aid of a microphone or a speaker because there weren't any. God gave him his own built-in microphone and he preached And he said, all right, if you won't let me preach in your churches, I'm going to the fields. And I told you a couple of Sundays ago, he started with the coal miners and he went from there and began to preach in fields all over England and 20 to 30,000 people would turn out to hear this man tell them that they were in sin and needed to be saved. He began to introduce and inject the leaven of the gospel into depraved England, and that leaven began to leaven the whole loaf. It permeated everything. Beginning about 1736, him and the Wesleys launched a dynamic tide of gospel proclamation, followed by countless conversions. People would begin to cry out in their meetings and ask God to save them. They would cry out in the middle of the messages and ask God to save them. They would receive thousands of letters back in that day when the post office sure wasn't what it is now. Thousands of letters of people saying, Jesus came into my heart. Something began to happen. God overshadowed England. God visited England. God poured His power out over this depraved nation. One move of God can do what trillions of dollars can't do. One move of God can turn it from dark to light. One move of God. We need a move of God. What you need to know as an American is these gospel preachers became nationally and internationally famous. Guess what? The names of Whitfield, Wesley, and Jonathan Edwards were rallying names for Americans three decades before Washington, Franklin, and Jefferson were ever known. 
Our first heroes were gospel preachers. Our first celebrities were gospel preachers. The names that, that, that brought hope to the hearts of people were the names of gospel preachers. Well, what happened is they got out there and they began to preach this gospel. And they began to just see this incredible move. Well, almost immediately, the leaven of the gospel began to permeate English life. One commentator, straight out of a history book here, writes these words, quote, A great restoration of morality and decently, or decency began to follow. Morality and decency began to permeate a culture dying in darkness. Historical records from that time period also reveal that it was the social concerns of the Christians, those that had been saved in this awakening, putting into practice compassion for the poor and the needy that raised English society from the depraved state of earlier years. What is the answer for our culture right now? Dying in darkness, going down the whirlpool for the last time. What is the answer? It's not a Democrat. It's not a Republican. It's not a Libertarian. Not ultimately. I'm not saying don't get involved in politics. You should. But what I'm saying is that's not the ultimate answer because that's not the ultimate problem. Our problem is sin. And the answer is a move of God. The answer is a tidal wave of the Spirit of God moving across America. It can happen again, everybody. It can happen again. So all of a sudden, England that was tottering on the edge was lifted by a move of God and the Christians that it produced. The great revival also reached into the heights of power and began to sensitize the consciences of prominent political figures. The politicians that were sitting drunk in Parliament got saved. And what did that do? Well, touched by the gospel and transformed by the teachings of Jesus. Many of them carried their spiritual convictions into political reform. They began to legislate morality. Among the many reforms the awakening produced, the greatest was the abolition of slavery because God laid His hands on a man named William Wilberforce and in 20 years he was instrumental in overthrowing slavery in England and what was the influence? It was the great awakening. It was the preaching of Jesus. It was the leaven that leavened the whole loaf. Is anybody hearing me today? This, this ought to encourage you. And you know that dull, dry, lifeless church where those preachers dull, duller, and dullest? Well, they were replaced by a vast host of young, zealous preachers who were inspired by the incredible ministries of George Whitfield and John Wesley and others, they saw the results and the fruit. And they said, I want that. And they got involved. And so a whole host of young, zealous, fiery preachers were raised up to replace the dead ones. Now I want you to understand something. This fire started in England. This raging awakening started in England, but it didn't stay there. It leaped across the ocean via George Whitfield. George Whitfield crossed the Atlantic Ocean 13 times. And he visited virtually every early American colony. Can I tell you today, don't let anyone revise history in your mind. Don't let the secular humanists, don't let 
the people who are lying about our history, who hate God, who hate Christianity, convince you of anything other than the truth. And here's the truth. The early American colonies, Philadelphia, New York, the first ones in the Northeast, were baptized in red-hot Holy Ghost, Great Awakening, revival that preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified. George Whitfield, when George Whitfield crossed the ocean, he was immediately accompanied by great crowds. All they had to do was say, Whitfield's coming. And on horseback, the farmers, those that were settling the land, would come from everywhere. And within a day, 20, 30,000 people would gather. He was invited to preach in Philadelphia. And Benjamin Franklin, who didn't just put a key on a kite string and sail a kite and figure out something about lightning and electricity. Benjamin Franklin was best friends with the greatest revival preacher in the history of the church. I want you to know that. Benjamin Franklin went to hear him in Philadelphia, and here's what he wrote. It was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of all of our citizens. From being thoughtless and indifferent to religion, it seemed as if the whole world were growing religious. One could not walk through the town at evening time without hearing psalms sung in different families in every solitary street. Philadelphia, we need a move of God. When God moves, it, it's, like a, it's like a rock dropping into a pond. Splash, it hits. And you see an initial splash, the water rises up, but then if you stay there, you watch the ripples, and they go out. And if you stay there long enough, you'll see the ripples reaching out all the way around to the very edges of the pond. And that's the way that a real true move of God happens. There is a splash. It splashed in England. But it didn't stay there because you can't keep a move of God in four church walls. There's no way. I mean, it begs to get out. It will get out. You know how it gets out? You. You get out there and you talk about it. You get out there and, and people say, I want to see what you say you saw. Well, let me tell you what I saw. I saw the Lord Jesus Christ He's real. He delivers. He saves. He answers prayer. He's our Messiah. He forgives your sin. That's what I saw. Well, I want to see it and I want to experience it. It comes through you. So George Whitfield would make one trip to Philadelphia and the whole city would undergo a move of God and be transformed. Now, I'm going to say something that you're going to have to think about. But I believe it with all my being. Like that pebble falls and hits the pond and the ripples spread all throughout. The aftershocks or the ripples of the Great Awakening reached down 40 years. And it was instrumental in birthing the spirit of democracy. And I believe instrumental in causing our nation to become. Pastor Jeff, how can you say that? Because here's what the Great Awakening did. It reinforced the conviction in these early settlers, these early Americans, that God had a special destiny in store for America. They began to understand that we're not just an extension of England, but God has His hand on this nation uniquely. There is a unique call on America. 
Revival gave them a sen- the same sense it gives to you and me individually. When you really get touched by God, it occurs to you, wow, I'm not a result of some evolutionary uh, uh, um, happening where I just came along in an evolutionary process. No, 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 no. I was custom designed by a creator God to do a certain thing. And you get a sense of destiny. And America got this sense of destiny. The Great Awakening, as the Spirit of God moved through the early American colonies, they began to go, man, we have, we have a call. We have a destiny as a nation on our life, on our country. God has His hand on us, and He did. So they said, we're supposed to be independent. We're supposed to be separate from England. And I believe it's very doubtful the Declaration of Independence would have ever been written and signed if not for the ripple effect of the Great Awakening. We are here as a nation because God moved. No move of God, we wouldn't have had a sense of we're our own people. God has a call for us. Do you see the power of a move of God? This is why Isaiah prayed. I want you to think about this prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens that you would come down we need god to come down folks well can that happen again pastor jeff absolutely if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray turn from their wicked ways and seek my face god says i will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their country. The answer is a move of God, and you know what? My prayer is that our church can be one of the matches that helps light the fire. Can we stand together? You are an agent of revival. You're a carrier of a good thing. You are contagious. <laughs> well, Pastor, I don't feel very contagious. Well, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What do you mean I'm contagious? You've got something that is catching if you just let it out. And it's the salt and the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to pray for us today and some of you need to give your heart to the Lord. You know, he's got something for you. I tell people all the time, um, Christianity isn't accepting a bunch of rules and regulations. Christianity is coming into a relationship with God and once you do that, then... He begins to reveal to you your destiny just like he did early America. You're never going to find what you're all about until you come to him. It's not ever going to happen because he made you. And some of you today need to get right with him. Maybe you've never had the miracle of being born again. Maybe you used to walk with the Lord, but you have just gone down incrementally where now 
you know that there's areas of your life that are not in agreement with God's will. Do you know that he can help you today? And that's why we're here. And some of you need a church home. You're kind of visiting around, looking here, looking there. Well, that's good for a while, but God eventually wants to establish you in a church home. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. It's one thing to visit. It's another thing to be planted. And so I want to pray today for people who can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I don't want to play any games anymore. I need the Lord. I need to get right. I need to do what all those people did in the Great Awakening. I need to get right and start walking with God. Or I need a church home. I want to pray with you today. Can we bow together? <clears throat> if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm, I'm one of those three. I, I need to get right with the Lord. And I'll let you pray for me. Or I need a church home. We need a church home. Our family needs a church home. Or I need one as a single person. If you're in either one of those categories, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up right where you are. Just slip it up right where you are. Many people. I'm going to ask us to do something. I want to invite you, if you raise your hand, to come right down to this front. Because you say, well, why do I have to come down? Because the minute you take a step, that's a step of faith. And God is going to meet you. And I, the God that changes lives is going to do something in your life today. So if you raise your hand, I want you to slip out and come down right now. Would you? As we worship, slip out and come. And I want to meet you and I want to pray with you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Come on now. going to wait for you. I need a church home or I need to get right with God. Come now. Let's sing everybody. We're just going to wait for a moment. If you need to come, come now and we're going to pray with you. Worship the Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God.